You're listening to the final episode in the series on associations in the Greco-Roman world as part of the podcast, Religions of the Ancient Mediterranean. I hope you enjoyed this series. Uh, we're con continuing the discussion from the previous episode on stereotypes and how Christians, Judeans, and other minorities in the Roman Empire could be the target of certain very negative stereotypes and that this plays some role in how these groups formulate and re-express their own identity and also plays a role in the identity expression of the people who are using the stereotypes. And so we look at how Christians and Judeans were part of this world of ethnic rivalries and that these associations of Judeans and associations of Jesus followers therefore had this other element to deal with on the negative side of relations with surrounding society. I hope you've enjoyed this whole series as I have and uh, you can always check out the books I've mentioned in the past that were the basis of the whole series. My book Association Synagogues and Congregations with Fortress Press which was back in 2003 my book on dynamics of identity in the world of the early Christians, which really uh, come, brings out this particular topic from the last two episodes. And finally, the book that's forthcoming soon in the fall of 2012, which is Associations in the Greco-Roman World, a source book, where you yourself can read the inscriptions and some of the literary evidence as well and even evidence for buildings for associations and begin to learn for yourself from the original evidence what these associations were like and how you might start to understand Judean synagogues and congregations of Jesus followers within the context of associations in the Greco-Roman world. So I hope you enjoy this final episode where we delve into the threefold common stereotypes that we find in accusations against Christians, namely human sacrifice, cannibalism, and sexual impropriety, incest. And that in a way we put a context on this and start to explain that these charges against the Christians are not unique. They are part of a broader ethnographic discourse. They are part of a broader way of talking about foreigners and a way of talking about immigrants and a way of talking about cultural minorities that puts a negative spin on how to view them. That this is only part though of the picture that we've been learning in the whole series. Namely that in other respects Judeans and Christians could have positive relations with outsiders and could find a place for themselves within society and would fit in many respects. Nonetheless there's this other element. Let's continue talking about these ethnic stereotypes and the dynamics of identity that's involved both on the receiving end and on the, the, the people who are creating the stereotypes and the people who are reacting to the stereotypes about themselves. And what I want to do now is turn to the question of how does this sort of dynamic of ethnic stereotypes and rivalries, how does it play a role in how some people view groups, associations that we've been studying? And the idea I develop in that article you read is almost the idea of the anti-association, let's call it, where the same sort of stereotypes we've just noticed, common in descriptions of Judeans and maybe common in some other places as well, are sort of standard stereotypes, so much so that there's this threefold stereotype of human sacrifice, 
cannibalism and sexual immorality or sexual perversity, right? And that these three things raise their head over and over again in different configurations. When someone dislikes a group, and this includes not only a large ethnic group, but actually dislikes an association. We already know that associations fit within society to some degree, depending on what group they are. But there are times when cultural minorities we've found, and immigrant groups, have tensions. And it's those few times when there's tensions in particular places that these stereotypes that we're now outlining, where this image of the anti-association comes up. So we're not talking about something that's widespread all over the place all the time. We're talking about a very specific thing, aren't we? That when there's tensions in a particular place between a larger group and a minority group, and when there's an association of that type of minority group and there's tensions on the rise at a particular moment, these images of the anti-association come up. Not that every Greek and every Roman always thought this about every Judean group and every Christian group, right? Obviously not, from what we've studied so far. But I wanted to give you that perspective before we headed into the question of how do these ethnic rivalries play a role and how people view associations back in antiquity. So what I had you read is this article where I worked my way through what I see as the image of the anti-association. What I noticed that led me to write this article is that in many novels, in other words, fiction, explicit fiction, there was a consistent use of bandit groups or brigands. In other words, pirates, brigands, bandits, des desperados as they're sometimes called, to represent the opposite of what an association should be. And that this is a recurring element in many novels, Greek novels that are contemporary that are mainly dating from the 2nd century CE, most of them, or 3rd century CE. Most of the ones we happen to have surviving come from that period. Let me give you a tiny bit of background on Greek novels. Greek novels are always the story of lovers. Greek novels, ancient Greek novels. Always the story of lovers who are trying to get together and get torn apart. And one of the ways they get torn apart in the story quite often is by bandits stealing the woman and taking her away. And so the whole Greek novel, generally, the plot is usually two lovers who are almost getting together. Something tragic happens to pull them apart, often being stolen by pirates or bandits. The whole story is about the adventures that each of them have, trying to find one another again and be reunited. They finally get reunited. And so these Greek novels have that plot. But the bandit association, the group of bandits, recurs in many of them. And it's within that context that we have some of the same stereotypes that we find in characterizations of ethnic groups, including Christians and Judeans. For example, you have Apollias' Golden Ass that you read a part of in connection with Isis. Well, you have the episode there where there's a bandit, a bandit collegium. The term in the Latin of Apollias is actually collegium, that common word we're familiar with now for an association if you're writing in Latin. And it describes the group of bandits as almost like a military association or guild. And this is the little spiel that uh, Apollias has that doesn't quite go as far as some of the other ones into the ethnic stereotypes, but at least gives you the sense of an association, that bandit associations, criminal associations, 
embody the opposite of what you're supposed to do in an association. They're the anti-association, right? So here it's characterizing their eating and their other activities as what you shouldn't do. They ate and drank in utter disorder, Apollias says, swallowing meat by the heap, bread by the stack, and cups by the legion. They played ruckusly, sang deafeningly, and joked abusively, and in every other respect behaved just like those other half-beasts, the Lapiths and Centaurs, so referring to these mythical figures who are known for having a terrible banquet situation where a huge fight broke out, right? Homer alludes to that story. But here's this picture then of what an association shouldn't be. And using the criminal group within the novel in order to, to, to portray the dangerous association that sort of undermines what a group should be in society. This idea of danger is quite prevalent in all of these uh, characterizations, both in the novels and in the real life situations that we're going to get into. So there's many novels that have that. You also have that one that I quote in the article, uh, the quite famous one recently because an article, you know, it's only partially preserved, but we have Lolianus' novel. That There's the text of it there, let me read it to you, that is, has the more extreme idea of human sacrifice. That if you have a bandit or criminal group association in a novel, they're going to engage in this sort of thing, and it's going to be the same sort of thing that's common in accusations against ethnic groups when there's tensions. Here's the little segment of the novel that is not fully preserved, but this is the most well-preserved section of it, happens to be the human sacrifice. So this is a group of, uh, it's unclear whether they're bandits or not in this case, but it's an association of some sort, that they're a group of initiates and mysteries, but some sort of weird mysteries, right? Here's what the text of the novel says. Meanwhile, another man who was naked walked by wearing a crimson loincloth and throwing the body of the child on its back. He cut it up and tore out its heart and placed it upon the fire. Then he took up the cooked heart and sliced it up to the middle. And on the surface of the slices he sprinkled barley groats and wet it with oil. And when he had sufficiently prepared them, he gave them to the initiates. So this is like the image of an association of initiates, but a criminal group of initiates, right? And those who held a slice he ordered to swear in the blood of the heart that they would neither give up nor betray, then we lose some of the text, not even if they are let off to prison, nor yet if they be tortured. So a human sacrifice, taking a share in the body to eat, cannibalism, and making an oath in the context of that, to keep doing bad stuff. A conspiratorial sort of sacrifice here. Now, something I note in the article that you need to know, and maybe you're somewhat familiar with earlier in the course, is nothing is unusual here except for the sacrifice being a human. Other stuff here might be bizarre to us because we're moderns and we don't know that you should cut open the sacrificed animal and take out the internal organs and share eating it. Normal but not a human being being sacrificed, taking out the internal organs and sharing in it. What makes this the anti-association is that the human being sacrificed and eaten instead of the animal being sacrificed and eaten. That's, we already know that that's the center of Greek and Roman religion, a sacrifice in the shared communal meal. So this sort of image in the novels seems to be reflected likewise, and it's a co common sort of 
imaginary scenario that is drawn on when certain people have tensions with a certain associations of certain mi cultural minorities. That this Im image of the anti-association is quite common and used in different contexts by different people. In the novels, used to portray the dangerous group that's going to undermine the you know, ability of the two lovers to reunite. And that may even slaughter one of the lovers and eat them. But this imaginary picture of what would go on in a criminal organization, in a criminal association, in an anti-association, seems to be widespread and used in different contexts. So let's look at how it's used for ethnic groups. We have Livy's example that you read in there. Livy wrote the history of Rome. He's writing in Augustus's time, first century BCE, late first century BCE. Livy writes a whole history of Rome. He's a Latin speaking and writing guy, and he's He's writing at a time where some among the upper-class Romans actually look at Greek practices as foreign and dangerous. And that's what we actually see reflected in this story he has. He tells the story, he's talking about the time 186 BCE. He's writing in the time of Augustus. And he comes to this point where he says, back in 186 BCE, back in the 180s, Roman culture was being compromised by foreign culture. Greek and Asian customs of eating were starting to infiltrate Roman practice. And Roman society was declining. This is his whole point in the section where he deals with this Bacchanalia, as it's known. The Bacchic group of worshippers. He's using this as an example of the decline of Roman values and the influence of foreign values and foreign culture, in this case, Greek culture. So here he's characterizing a Greek group, a Greek ethnic group, and he's going to use the same sort of stereotypes we see in the novels to do so. He's going to have the same sort of set of accusations to, to make against them. So this is a group of Dionysiac initiates that you guys are familiar with, worshippers of Dionysus, forming an association, they're in Rome. He's, in hindsight, blaming them for all the decline of Roman culture. These Greeks, these foreigners, this immigrant association, uh, worshipping Dionysus. And he says this, A Greek of humble origins method of infecting people's minds with error was not by the open practice of rites and the public advertisement of his trade and his system. He was the hierophant, the revealer of sacred things, of sacred cer secret ceremonies performed at night, from the time when the rites were, were held promiscuously with men and women mixed together, and when the license offered by darkness had been added, no sort of crime, no kind of immorality was left unattempted. There were more obscenities practiced between men than between men and women. Anyone refusing to submit to outrage or reluctant to commit crimes was slaughtered as a sacrificial victim. To regard nothing as forbidden was among these people the summit of religious achievement. They do opposite of everything. Everything sacred is profane to them and every profane thing is sacred to them. So here we have uh, a Roman author character characterizing an association now, not just an ethnic group generally, but an association and pinpointing it as a Greek association devoted to Dionysus that's bringing down Roman culture. We see this use of the common accusations here, human sacrifice, there's not reference to cannibalism there, though, is there? 
but we have human sacrifice and sexual immorality in the eyes of the person who's describing it, right? So we can't build too much into it as though the Judeans and Christians were the only ones accused of these things. They weren't. These were just a common set of stereotypes. The reason I say that quite strongly, that element of it, that this is not unique to them, that this is part of the broader ethnic sort of rivalries, is that it was common in the past to say that we knew that uh, Christians were accused of Oedipan unions, incest, and Thyestan feasts, cannibalism, which obviously involves killing the person in the first place. So human sacrifice and cannibalism. And that this we see uh, referred to in several different sources where Christians are defending themselves against such accusations. That whole reacting, forming your identity by reacting to the stereotypes. But we know that those two things recurred in several different places. Now, what used to be customary before scholars studied this broader ethnic rivalry thing we've been talking about, and the stereotype we find in the novels and in, in, in other ethnographic materials that aren't even dealing with associations, the people who didn't study those things used to argue that the reasons Christians were accused of Oedipan unions is what? Can anyone guess what they used to argue? They call one another brother and sister, and what else do they do? Do you know another custom the early Christians had? You might know it. So the early Christians had the custom of kissing one another to greet one another. So the idea originally, when people first studied, studied Christians alone, looking at this accusation of Oedipan unions, is, well, that's a distortion of an actual practice. Outsiders saw the practice of them calling one another brother and sister, saw them kissing one another and said, whoa, what's going on there? Incest. So that used to be customary. How about the Thyestan feasts? What would someone argue if they're going to say it's unique to Christians and didn't know about all this other ethnographic material we've been looking at? You eat the blood and, and flesh of Jesus every, uh, every time you have a meal together as some groups of Jesus followers do that. And some of the stories about Jesus have Jesus literally say, unless you chomp on my flesh and guzzle my blood, you cannot uh, be considered one of my followers. It's usually translated a little nicer for you. <laughs> and also, you're so used to the idea of communion, even if you're not from a Christian background, you're used to the idea that Christians have that, that you don't think of that as weird. But it is weird. What they used to argue was that's the source of the idea that outsiders saw that, or knew about that idea, and thought that they literally ate flesh and literally drank blood, that they engaged in human sacrifice and cannibalism. Now, it was a very interesting theory. But it falls apart entirely once you realize that these are the stockpile, the threefold stockpile stereotype that you use in all kinds of contexts where there's ethnic rivalries or where you're trying to portray someone as a dangerous group. It doesn't have to, it can be political. The conspiracies of Cataline, remember there's the stories about Cataline being accused of human sacrifice by other uh, Roman politicians. He's a Roman politician, other Roman politicians accusing him of having engaged in the exact same thing. So these are just widespread, let's call it ammunition, in political rivalries and ethnic rivalries. They don't need to have any basis in reality, do they? You don't need people to be kissing one another and call one another brother and sister to accuse them. It's through ignorance that these things are used, not through knowledge, right? It's not based in most of the material, and Tacitus and Anapian illustrates this very well about how they were characterizing Judeans. 
their characterization of Judeans is very little based on distortions of true things, although that happens sometimes. It's mainly based on the fact that they don't honor the gods and therefore you fill that in with something else. It's, it's through not knowing about them that you accuse them of these of human sacrifice and cannibalism. Not that you know them and suspect them of it, but that you don't know them. These are the common ones to come up in the ancient world and throughout the Middle Ages and into the early modern period. And maybe they still come up today. I hope not, but maybe they do. Anyone studied witchcraft in, from the 1400s to the 1600s? What are witches accused of? Human sacrifice and drinking blood. What are Jews accused of in Christendom? Once you have a, the idea of a Christian society in the Middle Ages in Europe, Jews are regularly uh, accused of stealing Christian children, slaughtering them, and eating them. You could go on and on. What are Satanists accused of in the 1980s? So you have the Church of Satan, which is a bit of, might be a bit bizarre to you, but regardless, the Satanists are accused of stealing children and sacrificing them and eating them sacrificing them in a, a ritual. So these are this, the standard thing you accuse people you don't understand of that you don't like. You, you have to really not like them, though, for that to be the, the scenario, right? Like you're thinking of what's the worst thing anyone, any human could ever do. They do it. That's exactly what we're seeing with this thing. It's nothing to do with knowledge of something. It's nothing to do with a faint recollection of what people do and then and coming up with it. So let's look at Judeans and Christians being accused of it. We already had one in that general characterization of Judeans generally. There's a few others that you had in the reading here. Uh, Democritus uh, is a first century source that likewise has this idea of Judeans worshipping an ass. And every seven years they, they catch a foreigner and sacrifice him and cut him into pieces. So that's a fragmentary work that we have surviving. Let's look at a couple of the Christian ones just to see how this works itself out. The most elaborate one is in Minucius Felix. So Minucius Felix is a third century source, and it's a writing that's a dialogue between a critic of Christianity and a Christian. And, and so Minucius Felix has this uh, character, Caecilius, critiquing the atheistic, he calls them atheists, Christian gang of discredited and, and proscribed desperados. The quotation from the dialogue between them. So it's a Christian writing a dialogue between a non-Christian and a Christian in order to defend Christians against these accusations. Back to the whole responding to the stereotypes and, and formulating your own identity by responding to it, right? The whole writing is doing that. They, he says that they consist of the dregs of society and women who are also considered, quote, profane conspirators. Conspiracy theory is very prominent in the material that uses these accusations beyond this one. So they're profane conspirators leagued together by meetings at night and ritual fasts. He calls it a superstition, superstitio, the Christians. And it's a, quote, promiscuous brotherhood and sisterhood that worship an ass and adore, this is not in the quote, but this is summarizing what he says, that worship an ass and adore the genitals of their high priest. So you think of every bizarre thing you can think of that's the most extreme opposite of what a religious group should be. And then, lo and behold, that's what the Christians will be, or that's what the Judeans will be. That's what the ethnic group you don't like will be, in some cases. Here's the famous passage here, where Caecilius is uh, talking about the initiation of new members 
into this group of Jesus followers. And they have a sacrificial banquet, he says. These Christians do. And this, is, this reflects a lot of that sort of novelistic stuff uh, that we've talked about and fits in the context of those ethnic rivalries we've been talking about. Here's what, it, what he says, what the Christians do when they get together for their rituals. An infant, cased in dough to deceive the unsuspecting, is placed beside the person to be initiated. So it's an initiation ceremony, like initiation to the mysteries, right? The novice is thereupon induced to inflict what seems to be harmless blows upon the dough. And unintentionally, the infant is killed by his unsuspecting blows. The blood, oh horrible, they lap up greedily. The limbs they tear to pieces eagerly. And over the victim, they make league and covenant. And by complicity and guilt, pledge themselves to mutual silence. The conspiracy oath that we saw in the Lollianus novel passage that we had in the accusations of Cicero against Catiline. In other contexts like that, right? He then goes on. He doesn't stop at that. After feasting, quote, when the blood is heated and drink has inflamed the passions of incestuous lust, end quote, and I describe it, the lamps are overturned and indiscriminate incestuous sexual escapades take place in the dark. It's a quick summary of his several paragraphs about all that sort of thing going on. So in this particular case, you have human sacrifice, cannibalism, and sexual impropriety, uh, incest in this case, uh, the threefold accusation. Those three things can be configured in different ways. Sometimes only two of them come up. Sometimes only one of them come up. Sometimes all three of them come up. But you're getting the idea. This is part of the discourse of ethnic rivalry. The discourse of characterizing a group as dangerous and foreign and barbarous. They're barbarians. So sometimes certain people in certain places in certain times characterize Christian groups in this dangerous way using this stockpile of ethnic rivalry stereotypes. But obviously not always. If you're being accused of human sacrifice and cannibalism, that's quite significant, isn't it? Regardless of how few times it happens, if more than one person is accusing you of that, you, would be, you might start to have a bad reputation. You know, it might affect how you defend yourself. It might affect how you express who you are uh, and how you might counter that sort of thing. 